19 minutes it is before the uh, top of the hour. We now go into our business wrap at the start of this new week. And joining me to uh, help us look at the big sets of news that have been moving markets and that have had tongues wagging in the marketplace. I'm joined by Head of Trading at Merit Securities, and that is Pinda Mangoloti. Pinda, good evening to you. Hello, Hello. 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 That being said, Pinda, uh, I want us to uh, maybe, uh, as we take a look at uh, some of the big business news here, let's maybe start off with uh, one thing that I guess a lot of us have been looking at uh, over the last few months or so, uh, since that preliminary report came out. Uh, from the Competition Commission, and that's that health market inquiry. Now, a lot of us would be very uncomfortable at this time of the year when, uh, you know, many of the healthcare funders release their increased tariffs for the following year. And uh, they've started to do so, some of those coming in uh, slowly but surely. But a lot of us are probably not familiar with what goes into the cost that we pay to medical aids every single month. Uh, and I must say, when I was reading this particular report, the final report and some of its recommendations, it made some of that a bit uh, a bit clearer for me. Yeah, that's correct. Um, Aya, before we, we get into that, brother, um, congratulations um, from, oh, from our side um, on being appointed in Chagas. We know in Dwaba you will not let us down, um, and all the best to you and the rest of the panel, yeah? Yeah, brilliant. All right, so just to go back to, um, to, to, to the topic at hand, um, yes, it's, um, it's, it's, actually, it's actually quite interesting um, in the sense that um, this final report um, actually does differ from the initial report mm. that was um, released earlier, which, uh, which again, um, may be some cause of debate. However, if you look at the recommendations, um, the report then splits it into two. Um, because if you, if, you look at, um, if you look at the private sector, um, so like um, health, um, you, you have certain role players. Uh, one, you have the medical aid schemes. Um, you also have then the um, you know the the, uh, the the facilities which are now the hospitals. Mm. Um, the report then touches on both of them. Right. One change from the initial report is that when it comes to the when it comes to the um, facilities or the hospitals specifically, uh, which are which are dominated by the three largest players, which are listed on the JSE, which being Netcare, uh, Life Health uh, Care, and Mediclinic, mm. is that the initial report had suggested that um, because of the over concentration um, by those three major players. Um, there needs to be um, some sort of, um, say, selling of certain assets to open up that industry. The final report is actually abandoning that. Uh, if anything, now it looks at um, it looks at introducing um, regulations um, in terms of how they operate, specifically um, how licenses are issued, mm. um, such that if there are any licenses being issued to these providers, um, these are based on a need. And also in terms of um, looking at um, looking at measures within the sector, um, because if you you know th- th- this is basically how market works, um, the bigger guys they always have the balance sheet, and if you have an emerging guy uh, who is sort of like um, in inverted commas eating their pie, they will tend to actually look at it and also just gallop that up or acquire that up, and then that literally closes off. Um, any um, any competition into that particular sector, mm. and when it comes to then medical aid schemes, right? I mean, it proposes um, so like four uh, guides in terms of how they also operate. One of them being that 
um, the schemes need to introduce a standard benefit package. So the, what, what will basically this does is it will make it easier for you and I to actually compare. As it is right now, you you you, you can't sort of compare one um, uh, one uh, one uh, one scheme to the other uh, because the other one tends to um, have a lot more benefits compared to the other one, and then you find the one that provides less, and then it's less expensive mm. than this one. This is more expensive, which again it does then sort of like um, kick a lot of us who cannot afford that particular higher package, although we do need it because of certain illnesses that we may have at that particular point in time. Right? And also, they, they then go on further to say that they need to then be a supplementary. So now this is a package that um, uh, medical aid schemes, they can introduce over and above the basic one. And they do know they, they do say specifically that the basic um, or the standard um, the standard benefit package it needs to be comprehensive. So you cannot say um, get around it by introducing uh, full fast benefits uh, with that option uh, or with the with the aim of say when I introduce the the the, the, the additionals or, or or the options then I will then sort of like package it such that um, you are forced to take up the package, uh, sorry, mm. the, 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 the optional package. So that's, that, that's quite interesting. And also that's, that, that actually um, what it does now is that like you and I, if then we needed, say, a, an, an, an additional um, benefit, which you will not get from the standard package, then you are then, uh, it is up to you again. Uh, you are then, um, you are then sort of like have that option to actually go to that, um, to that one, and then the, the other one that I actually find quite interesting is they talk about geographic schemes. Uh, so basically, now they're saying certain regions where there are players um, that play in that region, which would have would develop better relationships uh, with the local clinics and hospitals. And again, for me, when I read this, this this is where then the the you know the, the, the other medical aid schemes or entrance into this uh, would come into play, because now let's say you're playing in a smaller region, uh, uh, in a sport in a smaller region like um, let's say for lack of um, these regions, let's say King Williamstown. Mm. I, I know we're not small. I mean, my yeah, hometown. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so basically, you 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 can you can actually gauge in terms of. Um, in terms of the the current population, there how many um, people are there? Um, how many people need more um, what benefits compared to the other ones? Such that when you when you um, when you tailor um, such a package, mm. right, you tailor it such that you know, it's accessible to those people, right? and also the fact that the relationship between yourselves and the local clinics also improves in terms of uh, in terms of getting services out of them as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things I found interesting, Pinda, and maybe we can pick this up, uh, we need to take a quick spot break, is I guess how the Competition Commission mapped out the different stakeholders. So on the one hand, uh, you have some of the practitioners. On the one hand, you have people who are managing the facilities because, uh, you know, you're starting to find now that uh, the same guys who own the buildings might not be the guys who are funding the practitioners to provide the care. Uh, And it seems somewhere there, there is some... A form of tension. I mean, one of the things they mention here is uh, this fee-for-service uh, approach tends to incentivize people to actually over-serve, if I can put it that way. So you end up getting like specialized care for something that 
ideally could have uh, been uh, you know simply provided for in the primary health care system and we'll come back to that pinda on the other side of uh, this brief break i'm in conversation with pinda mangoloti head of trading at merit securities and we're talking about that health market inquiry uh, which is uh, set alongside the nhi to change how health care provision happens here in south africa and some interesting insights there about uh, the anti-competitive nature of uh, some of the uh, relationships uh, within the uh, private healthcare sector. And uh, we'll continue our analysis of that on the other side of this brief break and also take a look at South Africa's trade balance, which for the month of August went into positive territory. Stay tuned. Eight minutes it is now before 8 p.m. We continue our business wrap this evening here on Metro FM Talk. And I'm doing that with the head of trading at Merit Securities, Pinda Mangoloti. Uh, Pinda, just as we wrap up on this issue of the health market inquiry, I, I mean, I'm quite interested um, and uh, if we could maybe draw our attention uh, to uh, some of the uh, recommendations here. You made the case earlier on that uh, the uh, preliminary findings and uh, the report that communicated those findings uh, had uh, some differences uh, to uh, what has uh, come out of this final report. Um, uh, what were some of those? And, and more importantly, insofar as, uh, I guess, trying to create a more uh, competitive space and a space uh, for newer entrants, uh, what were some of the recommendations suggesting here uh, by way of, I guess, opening up the marketplace in the private healthcare space and how it's going to interact with the NHI? Um, well, this is... On on NHR specifically, I mean, mm. if you if you look at the premise of NHR, so basically it will be a, it will be a a program that will buy services from providers. Yes. Right? And the reason why um, I guess recommendations um, from uh, um, from the uh, from the commission are such that we 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 trying to have or they they they're pushing for a more standardized industry or an industry that that offers. Um, almost same services um, across the board uh, with additional scare in there, then, then that would enable NHI to then sort of like, um, uh, you know, um, zoom in on, on, on that particular provider uh, where um, their services are accessible. Um, and if, uh, if, if such services aren't, um, then you can then go on to the, um, to the, um, to the next provider. Now, th- this is where then uh, the, the, the competition uh, comes in as well. So the more we have of these service providers, uh, the better for NHI and mm. also better for us, um, uh, myself and you and everybody else uh, who would eventually be using um, um, that particular um, alternative come 2026. Right. And also the, 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 the other recommendation I've, I've already sort of touched on it, right, especially in terms of, um, in terms of, uh, in terms of, um, the, 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 or trying to deter the over concentration, right, in terms of these facilities. Again, NHI depends largely on having these facilities, um, up to standard. If we then bring in more um, more facilities on on onto the fold, and that also meet certain standards or criteria in terms of being a um, in terms of being either a clinic or a hospital. Uh, again, the better for us because now mm. it means that I will not then have to travel, let's say, five or ten kilometers, uh, just to go and see a doctor. Um, and also, um, just before the break as well, we're talking about um, certain stakeholders. Um, that um, or certain practices uh, by certain stakeholders within the uh, private sector. Yeah. We um, again, we the, the report sort of like zooms in in terms of um, people being over hospitalized. Where um, you could have a simple operation of just looking at one ear, and you end up having two ears um, being looked at or having been being 
being kept in hospital for a longer period. Uh, remember the private sector, uh, they have beds uh, and they need to fill those. Uh, the more people stay in hospital, the better for them. Uh, and I also think the, the, the other, the other so like example which was crystal, crystal clear that they made use of is um, of childbirth. Um, comparing um, caesarean um, um, operation and also natural birth and finding that within the private sector um, as, as huge or as big as about 70% um, of births are through caesarean. Remember, caesarean, uh, you get to be in hospital for longer uh, versus natural birth, which is three days versus five days type of thing, which again, as I've said um, earlier, that actually benefits um, these, uh, these, these uh, um, healthcare professionals. Mm, mm. Let's uh, shift our attention uh, briefly there, and uh, I guess I'm going to like to on this health market inquiry and, uh, uh, you know, I think a lot of us, uh, least of all if you're a consumer in that sector, you, you would want to familiarize yourself just with the executive summary. I mean, I, I don't expect all of you to read the whole thing, but just read the executive summary uh, because it might uh, give you some insight about uh, your own experience uh, in uh, the world of clinical care and uh, I guess how that intersects uh, with uh, the different economic relationships between the funders, uh, the facilities managers, and even some of the uh, practitioners, uh, which uh, it seems, uh, I guess, contributes to this un- uh, uncompetitive environment that we find in the private healthcare space. Now, Pinda, some uh, numbers here coming out of the receiver of revenue, which, um, of course, are the guys that are sitting at customs checking what's co- leaving the country and what's coming into the country. Uh, around our trade balance, showing that uh, we had a positive trade balance in the month of August and uh, precious metals and stones and mineral products leading the charge there. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised uh, if we look at the commodity price environment. Yeah, absolutely. shouldn't be surprised. And also the other thing, um, uh, actually, uh, for, from where I'm standing anyway, um, was actually quite a positive surprise. The fact that um, our vegetable production as well also um, rose in the month of August. Uh, um, yeah, up 6%, August. Eh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, uh, which again speaks to then that a slow recovery post that um, drought we mm. saw um, with you know um, throughout the country. But anyway, um, coming back to um, to what we're talking about, or rather the, the the point you've highlighted in terms of not being surprised about commodity prices. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we you know we've seen gold now. Literally, almost the past three, four months, um, so like loitering around the 1,500 US dollars an ounce. And if you look at um, the PGM prices as well, also shooting up um, uh, palladium, platinum, rhodium, all of those prices higher up. And all of these actually paying in, paying into uh, playing into our hands in terms of a, uh, a mining and exporting um, economy that we are, and also um, the the month of August we have a we had a relatively stable um, currency as well. I note that I didn't say a weaker currency, which normally would um, sort of like propel. Your, your export, I said a relatively stable currency. Uh, because, I mean, if you look where the currency is right now, we've unfortunately shot back above 15 rand. Right, so that um, surplus number, 6.84 billion rands um, for the month of August. And now this, um, this brings to about, um, I think about like four or five of these, uh, of these uh, months where we've had um, trade surpluses. Um, versus um, versus the 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 other so like two or three months um, of the year um, that we saw um, we we saw our deficits. Right. And uh, as I've said, um, in terms of uh, in terms of imports, those ones declined at about one percent, which is good for our trade balance. Right. And also, um, I mean, um, you, you you cannot 
sort of like stress enough the fact that um, as much as there is um, there is uh, lack of investment within the mining sector, uh, sales on the other hand um, actually are speaking a different language in terms of um, what we are what we are selling outside of the country and also what we're earning for those. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's it's quite an interesting one there. I mean, and uh, I, I, you know, I like how you flag that vegetable product exports uh, are up there because uh, the other one that I found quite interesting is that machinery and electronics. Uh, which means that we're not only just uh, importing some of the equipment that we need or machinery or electronics that we need, uh, but uh, also, I guess, from those that we manufacture and assemble, uh, also uh, taking some of those to uh, export markets as well. So uh, that's uh, certainly a feather in the cap of uh, us as South Africans, and we seldom get any good economic news, so uh, we'll certainly take that one. Uh, Absolutely. Pina, just the last one on my end. I want us to take a look at the results here of Transnet. Now, a few weeks ago, we spoke here on Metro FM Talk with Emmet uh, Efni Mashilenkosi. She had just signed an agreement with uh, Transnet to um, export, I think, uh, uh, you know, at best about 3 million tons of manganese from the Northern Cape for the export markets. And uh, she just struck a deal uh, with the Transnet. And we heard the CEO of Transnet uh, today saying in the last financial year that they exported about 14 million uh, tons, which uh, certainly... Uh, positions them as one of the uh, best logistics or if not the best logistics player in the world of manganese globally but uh, and i stand to be corrected on that one but that being said uh, it's quite interesting that uh, notwithstanding all of the issues around state capture transnet coming out here managing a profit of six billion rand and a marginal improvement on their revenue and uh, much of that led i guess by much better than expected fuel volumes in the freight business yeah that's correct um i mean um what you just summarized now actually translating into those numbers um, and also the fact that um, uh, another standout in terms of the results, um, the fact that they've actually contained their operating costs uh, to run about um, 40 billion rands. Um, this is now this is the revenue that they've um, generated of 74 billion rands and also cash um, that they've generated from operations, which also rose just under 1% to about 35 billion rands. So um, all in all, positive results, uh, as you've said on your um, on the intro, um, but unfortunately, it's their it's their audit um, opinion um, that um, sort of like um, takes away from the shine. Uh, in fact, um, I think just before um, just before 4 p.m. or so, um, we um, the executive of Transnet were actually disputing that they've actually gone ahead and now and accepted um, the, 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 the auditor's opinion um, just for continuity's sake. Um, mm-hmm. I would have loved to actually um, see if they were to stand their ground, um, what would they, you know, what their reasoning would mm. be. Do you not um, think, I mean, Peter, do you not yes. think that they have? Um, and, and the reason why I say this, I mean, when I read the, um, uh, the SENS announcement this morning and even their statement, uh, I got a sense that there are, there are divergent opinions around how this should be accounted for in the books uh, because uh, Transnet felt that, you know, this was something that they had made a decision about operationally um, and uh, they felt that this wasn't at odds with the triple PFA. But if we are to assume that it was, surely there should be nothing wrong in pre-qualifying suppliers if uh, all of them tick the box when it comes to transformation. And then we compare everybody who has complied with our transformation legislation on price, right? So, so that you don't have this tension here saying, ah, black guys are always squeezed out because they don't have the scale economies to compete with white players on price. If you pre-qualify everybody, then uh, we can have a much better debate on functionality and price. Yeah, um, I agree with you. Um, I guess um, my, my sort of like bone of contention was around mm. there. 
um, and also then what one way or the other sort of agree with uh, with Transnet's stance. Right? However, um, it's it, it's actually a bit disappointing in a sense that you have this large body, which is Transnet, um, which is supposed to abide by certain regulation and at the same time trying to then bring up um, the, 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 the emerging entrepreneurs uh, into, um, into the fold. And, and when they trying to when they try to level the playing field, um, they inadvertently contravene the very same um, legislation um, that's in place to guide them. Um, I think for me that's the disappointing part because what they're doing is something that's also dear to myself in terms of bringing black businesses, uh, making sure that we compete effectively, making sure that we also provide um, a good quality service, much like other businesses. Um, in, in turn, we will then employ our brothers and sisters um, who are literally just sitting there at home now with all those degrees and diplomas. Um, so from, from where I'm sitting is um, I do agree with what they, they were doing in terms of pre-qualifying um, certain, um, certain players. Um, but what I don't agree with is you have a standing clear uh, PMFA regulation which you needed to follow. Surely in trying to, um, to adapt to the current um, economic, economic environment, in trying to bring up um, emerging and black businesses, mm. surely you surely you should have paid closer attention to that as to how you can what you are trying to what you are trying to um, let's say um, uh, what's, what's the what's the word I'm looking for uh, what you're trying to do right, and make sure that it actually it actually complies with the standing regulation mm. if you if you if, if one reads in in some of the uh, let's call them um, complaints with some of the ombudsmen um, all over the show, is that some black professionals, um, they sort of like tend to cut corners where you would either um, use a bogus registration number right, or an, an FSP number. So from from a transnet point of view, in trying to, again, make sure that all, make sure that all these black players, they, they, they comply with the, the stated regulation. Mm. It is upon Transnet's um, responsibility to make sure they themselves, when they bring in businesses, they themselves do not break any laws or contravene any, um, any um, legislations or, or, or regulations, which will then, unfortunately, as is happening now, will then um, sort of like water down the efforts that, be, that they've been trying to do within the logistics sector. Yeah, yeah. Pinda, we'll have to leave it there, but uh, I must say quite an interesting you know, uh, uh, announcement here from uh, Transnet. Uh, they said quite a bit in the uh, reports about the Zondo Commission and the issues of state capture, uh, even dedicating, I guess, to their media presentation there uh, that as a significant entity in the lives of South Africans and the local business community, notwithstanding yeah. the adverse findings and reports of the Zondo Commission and in the media, the board and management are confident that the vast majority of the organization's strong Transnet community are good, committed, and passionate people who have given themselves for the benefit of the organization and all that it stands for. And I must say, only time will tell whether or not any of those words ring true. Pinda, we'll have to leave it there, my brother. Really a pleasure, as always, to catch up with you. That there was Pinda Mangolotti. He's the head of trading at Merit Securities. Now, you might be asking yourself also, uh, what happened to many of those uh, trains that uh, Transnet was set to uh, acquire a few years ago? You remember there were around 1,064 trains or so. Well... 
They also gave us an update on that one. Now, the ones that uh, were to be sourced from General Electric, the 44D locomotives, have all been delivered. Uh, China North Rail, uh, 45D locomotives, uh, they were supposed to deliver 232. They've only delivered 21. And uh, Bombardier Transportation, which was supposed to deliver 23E locomotives, uh, out of the 240 they were supposed to deliver, they've only delivered 37. And I think Bombardier is a French company. I stand to be corrected as well. China South Rail, which was supposed to deliver the 22E locomotives, uh, has re- uh, delivered 234 uh, out of the 359. So that's what's happening. If uh, you are wondering uh, what happened to all of those big tenders, is it Kaban Sayongong estate capture? Well, it seems that uh, China South Rail and uh, General Electric have uh, delivered the bulk of uh, those uh, locomotives. So China North Rail and Bombardier probably not doing as much. Let's take this brief break. On the other side, we go into our shop stewards' corner.